0: How's it going guys and so for today's episode of improvement we have on a special guest his name is Asaf Luxembourg and so just to give you some background on how we know each other about I would say. Two or three summers ago, I took a trip with the Texas A&M Corps cadets to Israel and we got to speak to him and I thought that. The message that he delivered to us is pretty insightful and I figured he could offer a lot of value to you guys and so Asaf, if you like to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Yeah, sure. First of all, thank you for having me. My name is Asaf Luxembourg. I am from Israel, um, and my scratch in life is to really promote my country. You can call that patriotism or or not. Um, A long time ago, I was young, and my dream was to be an ambassador, and I started building my career towards that. I ended up starting my own business, and today I have a business that literally deals with promoting Um, what my country has to offer from the business point of view. I do a lot of stuff related to high tech. So when we met in Israel, the context of the meeting was around that. But I also do a lot of other things like um, sort of career coaching. We'll probably talk about that. I'm a marketing consultant. I work with startups and funds and companies and organizations and agencies doing mostly storytelling, marketing language, pitching, that sort of thing. And I am a partner in a firm called PLUS972, which is by no accident the country code for Israel. So that's pretty much it. Um, 36 years old, born and raised here in Israel, married PLUS2. That's all I'm going to reveal so
0: far. All right. All right. Great. And so I guess my next question would be, What would you say inspired you to get into the field that you're in now what would you say inspired you to take the path that you've taken today
1: right so maybe it's worth sharing with the audience so since you know taking things seriously you know you sent me like a prep doc with questions which i have here with notes so i'm super happy to go over it and it's actually related to the topic of you know embracing and owning things seriously So, up until I was, I would say, 22 or three, I had different passions in life. I was actually a musician. My best friends in high school were synthesizers and recording software. So, I was the perfect combination of a nerd, because that's a lot of like, you know, sound design and and software and computers. On the other hand, back in those days, Hip hop was not really a thing in Israel, but electronic music and EDM like took it big because we we're influenced by Europe. Mm-hmm. So wanna be DJs and producers or whatever you call that, um, who wanted to also do their own musics came to me, the nerd kid. So I, this was my life. Um, but there was a moment in time after my army service in, in Israel, back when I was 22, 23, where I literally fell in love with what is what I consider is my career path which is what I said in the beginning that's how it started everything else is just tumbling down the rabbit hole it was a moment in time where I fell in love with an idea of what I want to do in my life I had zero idea how I'm going to do it but I knew what I want to do and why
0: Uh, that's great that you were able to find that you know after after taking some time to do your own thing at first with music and so well, one question I would have to follow up on that was, what was the process like for you when you were discovering your life purpose? What was the catalyst or what different events, if you're comfortable, transpired that led to you eventually figuring out what you wanted to dedicate your life to?
1: Right. So, again, I'm going to try to, like, internationalize the story, but super fine to go into the details of the context. So there's a program uh, related to Israel called Birthright Israel or Taglit which basically brings Jews from all over the world to see Israel for the first time. And they, they, up until COVID at least, they used to also uh, bring Israelis to join the bus. So there would be like an actual meeting between people from different places. Because the best way to get to know a place is to get to know locals. So I was one of those Israelis. I was a soldier in the army towards the end of my service. And I was sent literally as some sort of, instead of a vacation, as a bonus, if you want, for five days to join a, a bus and meet people from all over the world and tour Israel with them, and just to tell them how it how it is being here. And it was in that it, it was in those five days where you know my jaw fell down, because um, I realized that you know devoting my life to something of higher value, which is you know showing the truth about the place which I'm from and showing the potential values it could bring. And to get people to know it better, not necessarily to persuade them of anything, but just to get mm-hmm. to know the truth, I fell in love with that. So in the beginning, I wanted to be the tour guide. Very early, early on, I disqualified the option of becoming a tour guide. Right. And then never mind the details, but I fell in love with the idea of becoming an ambassador. Because a diplomat, by definition, you know, their job is to promote their countries, in an official way, still. And not only that, one of the officials in that organization that, you know, took part of those programs, he was an ex-ambassador. So I said, Asaf, that's it. You need to become a diplomat, have like a mini-career until you're 40-something, then quit, and then go do other things that relate to the same, you know, passion and mission, just like that guy does and it was clear to me that i'm going to be an ambassador so i started arriving backwards okay what do i need to study in order to become an ambassador mind you a 23 year old in israel just finished his army service kind of an equivalent to an american or north american 18 year old mm-hmm. meaning you have to university or college you do it at a later age so what should i study in order to become an ambassador Okay, obviously, like political science, let's mix it with economics. And let's take jobs, like, you know, studential jobs in the Israeli government that will help you, you know, get on that path. And I played chess throughout my 20s, moved all the pieces to the right location so that by the time I'm 30, I applied the cadet course and I become an ambassador. And obviously, that did not happen. That was the big break for me. I had a huge meltdown, I had a what, um, sort of a career crisis when I was 30 years old, Never mind the details, but eventually I understood I'm not gonna be an ambassador. And the big Eureka was that I understood that being an ambassador was not the goal. It's a mean to an end, it's a way to reach the goal. If the goal was to do the things I wanna do, there could be other ways of doing them. And that's how I started my business. My business was born out of a, you know, great misery and a sense of failure that I didn't get in the cadets course in the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs. That's a little bit about the process of how it went. I didn't become free, a freelancer and like a business owner all at once. It took a few years, I had a day job and I was doing like a side hustle, um, but that's how I got to the moment where today, you know,
0: it's, it's just doing me. Okay, and you touched on something that was pretty interesting actually. And uh, this is something i see in some of your other content where you talked about not necessarily committing to, I would say, to make an analogy, not committing to the vehicle, meaning like the way to get to the end goal, but just committing to the goal. So that way, if, you know, the process you have to take ends up changing, it's not the end of the world, you can find other means to be able to get to that end goal. Because you'll elaborate on that a little bit and talk about why that's important.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, the way I experienced it, I love analogies. So the way I experienced it, there was a mountain that I wanted to climb. And, you know, there was a path, you know, with stairs, and the whole thing and a road up the mountain. And someone literally like blocked the road. And, you know, suddenly there's like a canyon and like the road is blocked. You can't go through the road. But the road is not important. Getting to the top of the mountain is important. So you know what do you have to do? You have to take a machete and start going through the bush, right? Like carve your way, up, you know, up the mountain. That's how I felt with at least the early years of my independence um, journey. Um, I did not know Simon Sinek at the time, although he was already famous. It was later on that I. Uh, discovered his start with why book and talk and everything. And in a way that's, I think it relates to the journey that I'm in a way still going through. And the big th- takeaway for me was disconnect the why from the what and the how. So for those of you in the audience that may know Simon Sinek, that's great. For those of you who don't go check it out, but basically if he talks about focusing on your why For me, it really was, you know, a disconnect. Disconnect the why from the what and the how. I talk a lot. I used to talk a lot about innovation, especially in the times when we met in Israel. I still do. In a way, I believe this is where true innovation comes from. If you focus on your why, you know why you want to do what you do, and who do you want to do it for, let the market tell you the what and the how. Let them go. They are not thing that defines you um, and then you're able to adapt to changes and innovate and reinvent yourself I felt like a complete loser when I went to sign up the tax authority to become a freelancer I really did today it's like you know the, the new superstar or cowboy everybody wants to be like successful freelancers in a way and own their own business it wasn't like that for me I didn't want this what and how but it was about
0: the why and who. Okay. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I guess to show that my situation somewhat relates, I kind of had a similar situation when it came to starting the podcast. And so I knew what my goal was. I knew what I had an interest in, but I didn't necessarily know how to do it. And so it kind of got to a point to where I knew I wanted to offer value to other guys and help guys to be able to move through difficult situations I've faced in life and may not have had help to deal with. And then I started to think, well, how am I getting the help? I'm listening to podcasts. I'm looking at YouTube videos, uh, different content like that. Why not start there? And so I can definitely uh, relate to what you're saying about maybe not necessarily dedicating yourself to the means to do it, but the path. I mean, not, I mean, the goal. <laughs> dedicating yourself to the goal, not the path because you know i'm still fairly new to this and so far it's working out well but you never know tomorrow something could change you know to where i might not be able to do podcasting anymore but knowing what my end goal is knowing what my my mission or my purpose is it makes it to where i can find other paths to get to that destination instead of you know my whole world coming to an end by you know not being able to do podcasting if that happened
1: absolutely and just to you know just complete this topic because you asked about you know sharing with your audience so there's a known Israeli entrepreneur um, by the name of Uri Levine and he was one of the founders of Waze many of you out there probably know which was bought by Google and a big success story and there's a saying that really you know um, I don't know if he invented it but it's related to him in many places He's known for saying fall in love with a problem, fall in love with the problem, not your solution. Your idea for the startup may suck. You know, what you want to develop and sell in your e-com business may not work. You know, the kind of jobs that you want to do because you think you could be good at it, you may not be good at it, or you are, but the market doesn't need it right now. So don't fall in love with a solution, fall in love with the problem. If you fall in love with the problem, you can let the solution be a variable. The market will help guide you to the solution. And I think for many young professionals nowadays, this is a really important topic. So I guess we'll talk about it a little bit later on. A lot of the work that I do today is related to develop an entrepreneurial mindset not necessarily an entrepreneurial career as a profession. Um, and I think it's super important for employees, entrepreneurs, freelancers, you name it, especially in today's world. So fall in love with the problem. I'm in love with a problem. For me, it's still a problem. I'm far from solving it. But it's, one of what, it's what I want to say that I did in my life, you know, dealing with this problem building that legacy, right? It's not just, the legacy is like a derived outcome. Mm -hmm. What I want people to say about me and how I helped fight the problem. The problem for me is that a lot of people have misconceptions around my country because of media bias, lies, you know, a lot of things. And, you know, whether they disagree or agree with me or they like me or don't like me or us, you know, in Israel, it doesn't matter. But for me, the mission is to get them to know the truth and then they can decide. For me, this is like the burning, you know, the ever burning bush, if you want. You know, that's what guides me. I can't see myself doing anything else that has no, at least, derived relationship to this problem. Otherwise, I'm, you know, I'm not the right man for the job in a way. I need that connection. It doesn't have to be direct but I needed somewhere to, to explain to myself why I'm giving blood, sweat and tears for a certain thing.
0: I respect that, you know having that conviction towards your cause. And I feel like there are also some other benefits that come with that. And so to harp off of that, I'll ask, did having a strong purpose have an effect on your ability to be able to create solutions? Did it make you more dedicated and creative whenever you had something that you could strongly tie yourself into? Look, it's
1: a good question because in a ways it did, because the way I see it, me serving my clients is what matters, not me selling what I have on the shelf right now. And if my client's needs change, I'm the first one to throw away everything I have on the shelf and go develop what they need. So in the one hand, yes. So it's, what I said before, you know, if you know your why and you focus on your why and who, who do you want to serve and why, let the what and the how go. On the other hand, I can share with you that I'm, you know, I'm also struggling with the other side of it. Maybe I'm too locked in. Maybe I'm too zeroed in on a few things that I'm not being able to see, you know, sideways and expand to more things. I have that tension all the time. But it's a, I think it's a, it's it's in a way a, a somewhat healthy entrepreneurial tension to have. Every business owner thinks, maybe I'm missing out. Maybe we should do more things, but maybe it's not who we are. So even if we succeed at it, it's not what we want to build with this company. So, you know, these thoughts are always there.
0: All right, great. And so I guess to touch on one of the other things you talk about in your content, I guess is pretty related to this, what we're talking about now is how to be the CEO of you. And so, could you give the audience a quick summary of what that means to you?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, the quick context is that now that I explained my why and you know, my greater goal, a few years ago, well, let's put it this way um, in 2007, end of 2007, a book came out called Startup Nation, which made huge headways and huge, you know, waves around the world. It really, you know, um, nailed Israel's brand as a place of startups and innovation and technology and entrepreneurship. Not that Israel wasn't that before, but the book brought that story to everyone. It was a huge thing. And from 2008, for something like 10 years, um, you know, everybody came here to try and look for the next ways, to try and see what is it in the Israeli mindset? You know, what can we take from this story? Politicians, policymakers, entrepreneurs, investors, business people, MBA students, everybody came here. And a few years ago, in 2008, more or less, a little bit before, I started seeing that for a lot of people, they don't necessarily aspire to be startup entrepreneurs. But a lot of people are struggling with an entrepreneurial mindset in what is a very changing and dynamic world of work. So I used to meet a lot of young professionals, you know, 20 year old something, individuals, talents from all over the world. And for a long time, my generation, all people wanted to do is, you know, think about the next big idea for the next app, go fundraise from an angel or two, take an office of WeWork, print the t-shirt with your logo on it, and start working on your tech startup. And I started seeing that fade away. And a lot of people look for an entrepreneurial career path, not necessarily be an entrepreneur as a profession. And I said, if that's what people struggle with and I'm a service minded individual, I wanna help people and by that connect them to Israel, I need to maybe bring some value to that. So what I did was start taking business lessons from the world of innovation, entrepreneurship, business and so on into the world of career building and personal and professional development that's the context so i did it not because i wanted to be a coach or anything like that i don't consider myself a coach i did it because i saw it's a way to connect people with israel so what i did is use stories of people companies case studies our history modern history biblical analogies everything that i could use for my bag of culture um, to add value for more healthy entrepreneurial thinking. And just to wrap it up, over a period of something like two years, I started packaging a lot of things into like some sort of, a, I don't want to say it like a methodology or anything like that, it's not my, um, you know, methodology, but a certain perspective. And that's the business unit perspective that I mainly communicate today, which is all about the idea that individuals need to see themselves as if they are the CEO of them they incorporated. So whoever's listening right now, you could be working for the bank your entire life and that's fine, you don't need to be an entrepreneur, but in order to survive and thrive in today's world of work, I believe each and every one of you should think as if you are the CEO of U Incorporated or ULTD or ULLC, whether you have a company or you know of your own or or don't. And then that mindset changes a lot of practical things in the workspace.
0: I like how you found a way to tie it into, I guess, the minds of the people who aren't necessarily entrepreneurial focused, but how even though someone could be, you know, a corporate finance person or a nurse or any other type of profession it's not uh, a business owner type profession they can still think of their life like a business thinking like how they're building their own brand and how they need to make sure they live a life that's conducive to that and so to go into the next question i would ask what are some practical tips that you would give to the listeners to help them become the ceos of their life if you could give a few
1: Right. So for those who are interested in order not to take too much time from this interview, a lot of it is online. I publish a lot of things for free. Uh, many of them are also recurring. So it's the same idea from different angles. So you can find the one that fits you know, better for you, uh, for each and every one of you. But oh, here are a few. If you are the CEO of you, then your boss is not your army commander that gives you instructions which you need to comply. If you are the CEO of you, by definition, your boss is your customer. Now, if your boss is your customer, the customer is not always right. The customer always has to be served. Service is an important thing. So what that brings about, instead of coming to work and doing what you're asked to do and do it faster, even better, and then ask for a promotion, Over time, I think that will not work. Thinking like a business unit, you need to think about sales. So it's not about doing what I do better and then ask for more money. What I think a healthy perspective could be, what other needs do my clients have which I could answer for? And then go and try to create solutions for that. And if you increase the value that we bring to your customer, you can, ask for more returns. If you bring the same value in less time, not necessarily you're gonna get more returns. So very basic business understanding, just to bring it into the individual mindset. Like here's an example. Let's say you need to hire a lawyer to write a contract for you. And the price of the contract is X. If the lawyer does it in less time, good for the lawyer, not necessarily you're willing to pay more for that. But if the lawyer is able to help you with more things, maybe that's worth for you to pay more for the lawyer for that. So a lot of people, you know, they get better at their job and they're frustrated by not being promoted. It's because you need to add more new value. You need to sell to your client and serve your client. So that's one idea. Another idea is for how people look for jobs. So a lot of people look for jobs, they go into the job market and they see, who is available right now that wants someone like them? And then they go and they, you know, they try to maximize from what's there right now. But this is a very limited mindset. Better mindset could be trying to actually identify your golden prospects. If you're the CEO of you, think which clients do you wanna have? Who do you really wanna work for? If everyone's paying the same, who do you wanna work for? What do you wanna do with them? Why? If you go and communicate that to them, you're able to really stand out from the others because they are looking for people who align with their mission not just who's available right now so you know there are ways to do it better if you're thinking like a business for yourself and again the practice and how to do it and it's all online so right. these are like two examples if
0: you want okay and one thing that i really like about this ideology that you came up with is that it forces people to one take accountability i guess you could say It's not to where they're just kind of a a victim, just riding the wave, going with the motions and everything with their boss or with their job, Uh, but they're being intentional about their life. They're being calculated about how they want to move about their career and other aspects of their life, almost as if they're a business.
1: Look, one of the things that I try to communicate outside um, to as many people as possible, like the responsibility has shifted in a way in the new world of work you can say it's because of the internet you can say it's because of the culture you can say it's because of technology you can say it's because of a lot of things but it used to be that you know whose responsibility is it to make sure that you produce more than you cost In the old world of yep. work would have been your boss right right manager their job is to make sure that if you know you cost the company 80 you produce 100 today in a way, it's not their job anymore. It's your job as the employee. And I'm speaking specifically about employees. You need to make sure you produce more than what you cost. Because if it's the other way around, you're not gonna stay for long. Now true, it used to be your, you know, your boss's job to coach you, to mentor you if they were a good manager, leader, and make sure that gap is healthy. But in today's world where people switch jobs every 2 years where employers change their needs every 2 years so they hire different people every 2 years it's just because you know the pace is so high it can't be on the boss's responsibility anymore so it falls down on the employee so there's a lot of research today actually that backs this up and said you know personal development became the employee's perspective companies should empower their employees to develop themselves, not develop them. So instead of feeding, you need to like teach them how to fish. But from the employee perspective, you also need to embrace that. I believe this is also where the biggest opportunity is because if you do it earlier than others and you're able to overwhelm and over deliver to your boss and show that you can do more things, you create your own promotion. So it's not about which promotions are available next year. You're not shopping for a promotion. Create the promotion you want. So it's, it's, a, it's just to look at things from a different angle.
0: Okay. And to touch on that, it almost sounds like something else I heard you mention in your content about not being a customer in your own life. And so that's essentially what it's promoting, right?
1: Yeah. So this is a more like, you know, uh, direct way of saying it, uh, maybe a more aggressive way to communicate it. I'm trying to be delicate here. But the the, the more um, Israeli way of saying it it would be something like, look, you're not the customer in your life. You're the owner. Like a lot of people go to college. They try to shop for a career path. College is not going to, you know, the university's job is not to, to supply your career path. The university's job is to give you skills, mindset, you know, learn how to research, learn how to write papers. They teach you how to fight, like, you know, gladiators. School, but they will not tell you who to fight and where and for who, which general. That's for you to decide. So people expect university to do that. You know, the career center is supposed to help me find the job where I'll feel meaningful and, you know, I'll do meaningful things. And I'll be part of a good team. And I just want to have you know good people. And I really I don't need I don't want too much to earn. I just want a decent, honest salary. And I also want, and I want, and I want a good boss as a leader, and me, 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 and what I want. You're not in the center here. Which companies do you want to serve? Which companies do you want to be a part of? Why? If you're willing to go and earn less, just in order to be part of what those companies are doing. If you communicate that to them and you show that you can bring unique value to them, not just because of your commitment, but also because your unique value proposition. Just like any good business leader would do to promote sales. Not only you'll not make less, but they'll they're looking for people like you. So don't take life as a customer. You know, you don't like the wife or husband, you switch. You don't like your job, switch. I don't like the, the you know, whatever, switch. It's, career is not a consumption good.
0: I like that, career is not a consumption good. I've never heard that one before. That's, I'll have to write that one down.
1: Yeah, I don't remember where, not mine. I don't remember where I heard it, but it's not a consumption product or not a consumption good. It's an investment vehicle, meaning, I mean, think about it. The word business, literally the word business, I'm willing to bet that for 99.999% of whoever is listening, which is probably one or two people, I'm kidding, probably 3 million people, the 3 million of you out there, what is the word business? What's the word business? What does it stand for? For the 99.999%, probably emotionally, before they have to think about it, they will default to business equals how to make money. What's business? You making money, companies, they do business, they make money. And I'm like, if you really think about it, the word business comes from the word busy. What do you choose to be busy with? It has to do with that. If there's no commitment and intention, if it's not important for you, if it's just about the money, the first moment it'll become difficult you'll think about alternatives. Not only that, someone who has less skills, who's less capable but more committed, will be more diligent, and over time will take over, like, like steal your meal. And the truth is, these things are hard. I mean, it's a marathon. And it's not, you know, it's not easy. So you rather do it in places that you really care about. That's what I'm pushing for. It's not easy to find that place. But I also don't think that everyone should have the same path and kind of journey that I'm going through. I really fell in love with a certain mission. But I know that not everybody has like, you know, something that they'll just fall in love with and will be like dogmatic and committed. I I understand that.
0: It's definitely understandable.
1: Yeah. So, you know, here's something. You know, for three years since, in between when I started acting as a freelancer and until I became like full-time, you know, doing my own thing, for three years, I had a day job and I was doing my thing on the side. I didn't know if it's going to grow. I didn't say, oh, I'm going to build it over three years. I have a business plan because then, you know, I'll be able to turn it over. I knew that if I'm gonna do what I want full time, back when I started, I'm not gonna make enough. On the other hand, if I go and take a full time day job, and I'm gonna do nothing that relates to my core passion, I'm gonna fade. Like I'm gonna fade over time. I'm gonna decay. So I ended up having like a healthy mix. I went to an employer that from the get-go I communicated to that employer what it's important for me and you know we had an understanding from the beginning so instead of you know a lot of people play poker you know at work you know they're looking for a job behind the scenes and you know the boss is looking for another employee and like there's no trust everybody's playing poker so people feel lonely and they you know insecure and My takeaway from that, I didn't plan it, but I said, you know what? Maybe it's good to, you know, for a lot of people, they have what they really love doing and it fills in 30% of their time. And for the other 60%, the other 70%, you know, they have a day job and it's because of that disconnect, they are able to give hundred percent of work because they know there's something else that fulfills them. And when they give hundred percent for this thing that fulfills them on the side, they don't expect that to replace what they do at work. And it's a very healthy mix.
0: And I appreciate you sharing that. And something I think is also important that can tie into this is also having a growth mindset whenever you decide to take that path, like what you've taken to dedicate yourself to your mission. One thing I'd say is that it has a direct correlation to the level of success that you can have whenever you start to work towards something on your own, especially something that you're passionate with. Passionate with. So what would you say is uh, the importance of a growth mindset and how would you, I guess, what tips would you give for the listeners to be able to develop that as they move through life? Uh,
1: okay, so two things here. Uh, before that, just for the previous point, if those of you are looking for what I just blurred about, so. Um, I wrote about it in the context of believe it or not, Superman and Clark Kent. So uh, there's a post out there that I wrote called "In Defense of Clark Kent," because Superman was not Superman all day long. He had a day job. He had a healthy mix. Superman had to make a living out of you know helping the fire forces and the police. He would not make enough money. He needed that you know mix. So that's for the uh, Superman and Clark Kent analogy for having a side hustle basically um, as for what you asked about growth mindset I will say the following so something that I think about a lot lately is um, you know when you're too locked in on something a very wise lady told me a few years ago um, that the North star is really important but the North star itself is irrelevant it's like the purpose is to direct to the north direction. So a lot of people are locked on a specific thing like the north star. And if they don't get it, they think they lost. But the north star is irrelevant. The north direction is relevant. So um, in terms of growth mindset, knowing to differentiate between the north star and the north direction. We need stars. We need the north star, this specific point, the specific, you know, job title, that specific dream, that specific client or project or, you know, creation that you want to make, it's important, but also knowing that the reason you want that thing is bigger, and the re- that bigger reason, that why, is the north direction, the north star is just a way to um, envision and materialize the north direction in a specific way, so we could envision it, So that's one thing, growth mindset, um, no to not being locked into the North Star, aim for it, but knowing that it's just a way to focus on the North direction. Look, anyone who has experienced freelancing or being an entrepreneur, or even being a manager in a corporation may relate to the idea that the three most important or difficult Things that I think people struggle with, including me, are loneliness, uncertainty, and patience. So whether you're starting your own business or you know, you're know you working on a startup, or you're carving your path you know, in the organization, your career goals, a lot of people at the end of the day, they feel uncertainty because most of the things are not in our control. Um, and you need a lot of patience. Nothing's going to happen overnight. A lot of people talk about patience uh, online around that topic, and loneliness. Loneliness is something that for many years was, you know, correlated with entrepreneurship. You know, the entrepreneurial journey is lonely. You know, those entrepreneurs, you know, it's a lonely journey I think it's true for any leadership journey, whether that's thought leadership, community leadership, managerial leadership inside the organization, or entrepreneurial, freelancing. It's a very lonely journey. And coping with those things and understanding that you're not solving them, you're not overcoming them. You fight them all the time and you become, you know, they grow you these struggles, that's a growth mindset.
0: Right. And to harp on what you said about the loneliness portion of it, I can definitely relate to that when it comes to living a lifestyle that's different than the norm. And especially whenever you're doing the work that you do, it's not going to be common that you come across people that prioritize the same things that you do. And so what are some tips that you would give to people that are in a similar situation when it comes to finding like-minded people or uh, working with the fact that for the most part, you're going to have to do a lot of this stuff alone if you want to work towards that better life?
1: So, you know, different people have different ways of doing things, so there's no one size fits all. I can share that for me, um, there are many periods where um, I think it's healthy to get mad, especially if the alternative is getting sad. So, when something, you know, when shit hits the fan, you get sad, that ends up with Ben and Jerry's in front of the TV or Netflix or whatever, which leads to, you know, it's okay to be sad, but not always it leads to action. When you get mad, when things don't work, you want to do something. Like let's try to make it work or let's try to, you know, you know the hell with this. Let's try to do something else. But you're looking for a way forward. I think it relates to like a growth mindset or taking ownership, which is what I think it's all about. When you take life as a customer, if you got fired or something didn't work out, you feel like it was done to you. So you're the victim. You know, the client, you know, dragged us around and in the end, you know, we were hanged in the air and you know nothing happened. Oh, they did it to us owner mindset would say, if these clients, if those people are people I want to serve, I need to understand what is not working right in the way I serve them. They are in the center, not me. So So, for me getting mad, especially if the alternative is getting sad, I prefer getting mad in some situations.
0: And I I would say that's a good thing because uh, from what I've noticed, even in my few years of, of life experience, only living for 23 years, uh, I understand that it's good sometimes to have negative motivators along with the positive motivators. I'll say some of the times when I've gotten mad, it definitely pushed me to get up out of bed or stop wasting time or whatever else I was doing and really dig deep and push into whatever it was that I was working on. And that's when I got some of the best results. In my life, and so I can definitely see value in that and I can relate. And I would agree that you know you it's okay to be sad, but at the same time, you can't let that be the end. There has to be some sort of thing. Because when you think
1: like a business unit, if you're sad and really there was you know an injustice which was done to you, maybe you're right, but the market doesn't care. <laughs> so, you know. It's okay to vent things and take the time to, you know, to, to ponder and reflect. It, it's, imp- I mean, we're human beings. But if our career is the real business we run, I mean, if eventually, even if you work for Google or whatever, you're still the CEO of Kamani Incorporated. You're running this show by yourself. Even entrepreneurs, you know, who are founders of companies, they're still running their career path. So, I think th- today, I think culture and technology in the modern world brings those business, I would say, tenant truths to the individual level. Like, I would argue that maybe our fathers could have met like in 1980 something in the chamber of commerce or whatever. And they would like, when they open up and talk like, you know, you know, like the real honest talks, like, you know, some of them may have had, they would say, you know, at the end of the day, it's hard in the market and you know, you the clients and how to find your path and, you know, to get the mission of the business and your positioning. And they would, they would talk like that with regards to the businesses they were leading or managing or working for. Today, we do it on our own career paths, especially when people change jobs every two years and the employers, you know, they change team members every two years, not because anyone did anything wrong. It's just the modern rules of the market. These are the new rules of the game.
0: Right. And that's understandable. And so to backtrack a little bit on one other thing that you mentioned, uh, you talked about the difference between getting mad and sad, but one of the things that you also touched on was being self-reflective. So instead of always being the victim or saying, look at what they did to me, asking yourself, In what way do I not provide what that customer is looking for? And I think that that's a good mindset for a lot of young men to adapt. And I think that that could definitely lead to long-term success to be able to get into that frame instead of the victim mindset, I guess you can say. And so would you say that that's been one of the things that uh, was one of the biggest factors in your success today?
1: Look, it's funny you say your success because I haven't seen my Like, I'm not, a, it's, I'm not like a 60-year-old expert sharing life with, with young folks. You know, I'm just another Bedouin in the desert who's wandering in the same desert. I'm not a desert expert. I didn't study the physics and the chemistry of the sand. Maybe I learned a thing or two about navigating in the desert and I'm sharing tips with others. It's literally the way I see it. Um, but I would say this. I will say that um, in terms of things that help, so knowing to define your core community, that's how I call it. You know, people who have a like-minded vision or you have something similar with, they may climb a different mountain than yours, but you're climbing, you know, for the same reasons people who are there with you. You know, they could be like from the competition even. But, or like from the other department, which we hate in our department, it doesn't matter. But, you know, since we have the higher purpose, higher purpose is like the issue here, because we all choose to be busy with it, if we're here for the right reasons, and building good relationships with them. Think of any cowboy in an imaginary cowboy town 100 years ago, like if you want to get the gold and you think it's all a competition and like Simon Sinek says, it's a finite game and you'll end up in the cowboy town playing poker and you'll be the, you know, the person nobody likes to talk to. But if you go into the saloon and you actually befriend a lot of the other people in town who compete with you with, on finding the gold, but that's how you really build your reputation and show who you are. And that, that, that's my way, of, at least in my industry. I know it's not the right formula for everyone. I'm all about serving specific organizations, specific people, or delivering specific services for others because the common denominator for me is that I find a way to show what the place I come from, culturally, people who the country is all about. I'm an ambassador of my people. That's how I see it. So I need that common. Com- com- you know, denominator. For other people, it could be different things. It could be about the people who work here in the company. You know, never mind what we do, but you know, we're like a good team, we're a tribe. For others, it could be about the product or the art or the kind of clients we serve. You know, like people would work in things that relate to special service. So it's about, you know, helping others. Today I'm helping them working for this nonprofit. Tomorrow I'll help them by starting my own business as a consultant. Then I go back and I work at the government, so I help them from here, but it's about them. So it always, to me, it comes back to, you know, um, the reason you're doing what you're doing.
0: And so to tie into that, what advice would you give to directionless young men that don't truly know themselves or what they want out of life or that purpose that they need to pursue, like what you were just talking about? So
1: first of all, um, like the almighty Gary V says, separating the sprint from the marathon, you're not supposed to figure it out next year because you're not the client. And you're not doing it in order to feel good that you solved the career challenge because you're not the client. It's not about you feeling good. Um, One of the things that I used to do, I still do, like I would literally envision myself at the age of 70 or 80 or 90 150, I don't know how old we'll get uh, by the time we get there. But like when me and other people will sit down, you know, as we do here in Israel, like uh, taking a pita, wiping hummus, Friday morning, you know, a group of friends, just talk about life. We're all retired. At the end of the day, we're left with the things we did. Not how much we made, which is important, but it's the stories of what we did in our life, like grandpa, what did you do when you're like, tell me, so how was it like back then? What did you do when the world was X, Y, and Z? Now, some people may say, oh, you know, I need to think about you know big things to solve, you know, climate or, you know, world peace. It doesn't have to be, it could be about sports, it could be about arts, whatever is important for you. What do you wanna talk about with your grandkids and your other retired friends when you'll be 80 something just meeting a group of friends for beer. To me, that's like a super important thing. Um, yeah, so that's something that helped me. It helps clear a lot of thoughts, like what's really important for me. And it's super okay to say I'm doing this for three years, and I'm going to do something completely else. Or no, I'm going to work in something I don't want for thirty years, but I'm going to have something from the side. So my Big dream is in 20 years, I leave this. I take the skills, but then I go do this thing that I did on the side for 20 years. This is the how. The how doesn't matter. What's important is the why and the who. This is for me.
0: All right, and that, I definitely can understand what you're saying. And to add to that, one thing that I would say that, at least in my experience and people that i come across, leads to a lot of guys not doing that, not being conscious of what you are just talking about, you know, pursuing those things that we want to pursue is really a, f- a fear of failure, I would say. It seems to be one of the main things that leads to a lot of guys not pursuing those things outside of what they do now, because they might know that they like sports and want to do something in sports or they might like, uh, you know, creating content or something else like that, but it's that fear of failure that makes them not pursue Thank it.
1: Thank you for bringing this up. So here's another thing that comes from the world of entrepreneurship and today is like relevant to each and every one of us. Cause you know, embrace failure as a way to success is a known shtick from the world of entrepreneurship and startups and innovation and all that. So I think it's super important. And again, if we are all the owners of our own business as career path, we have to fail along the way. What would make our failures less hurting, I would say, so that we will be less afraid of them, is the idea that there's something bigger that we are a part of. I do think it relates to the experience of living in a place like Israel. But it's not about Israel. Other places have that, too. When you are a part of something that is bigger than yourself, it could be serving your country. It could be your industry. It could be, you know, the frontier of the technology that you're trying to bring to the market. It could be, you know, certain areas of life, um, whatever it is for you, arts, you will find other people there. These are the people of your core community. You have to build relationships with them. They will help you see that destiny that is out there looking for you. So, you know, for people that are lost, Just reach out to people who work for industries you're interested about. Ask them how it is to work there. Bring value. So tell them, listen, I have an idea for your next campaign. Give it to them for free. Then ask a question. How is it to be in that industry? How can you learn if it's for you and communicate that the reason you're interested is because you believe this is something you really want to be a part of for your life? I think it's a better way of creating job opportunities than just see who's out there looking to hire what and where can i fit in randomly right now
0: Uh, yeah (laughs) hey that, that pretty much sums it up well um i guess now that we're kind of coming to a close with the interview uh to wrap it up is there are there any last pieces of advice you like to give or is there anything that you like for the listeners to know any information about uh your your business anything you like to share to close uh, it out
1: wants, yeah if someone wants to look me up see what i do or you know get more of what we spoke about feel free to browse me online if someone wants the best creative agency in the world feel free to talk to me about plus 972 of course but First of all, I think we did a pretty good job going over most of the points here. So, you know, good yeah. job moderating it. Yeah,
0: I think we hit all of them. Yeah. Tried
1: <laughs> like for myself to end with two things, but I think I'm gonna not do them and maybe share something else. Okay. For that two minutes. Um, there's a piece of like there's like an, an idea from like Jewish heritage that I really like. I'll just name the reference so people will know where to find it. Um, Maimonides wrote about it. About like th- three kinds of friends in life. And it's something that every now and then I like remind myself, and I think it's really important. Also is like a, a compass, you know, to find the right people, the right places, the right uh, industry is the right career path. So my is, so he wrote an interpretation about something that happened in the like the Jewish Gomorrah. Never mind, never mind the context, but the punchline of what he wrote was this: there are three friends in life. The first kind is friends of utility, I would call it. These would be your neighbors or for those who have kids, like the parents of the other children, colleagues at work or friends while you're in high school. You're friends now because it serves some sort of a utility for all of you. But if you take that common denominator away, you'll not really stay friends. That's okay, because you're not really life friends you're friends from now and these would be the people you hang with the most probably and that's fine so these would be friends of uh how do you, friends of utility i would say the other kinds are friends of uh no these are friends of benefit that's how we called it the higher level are friends of comfort these are people who love you they care for you they want you to be happy but there's a trick in order for you to be happy, they'll tell you, oh no, poor thing, what they did to you. Oh, it's so bad how they fired. Oh, you know, it's so unfair why you got that great, whatever it is, right? They'll put you like not in a victim place, but you know, they really want you to, you know, to feel good. They'll always be there for you. Your mom, your wife, your husband, you know, these people. Um, but they will not always tell you the truth in your face. It will not make you be happy. So the, you know there's a trick, and my says Rambam, as we call it here. He said the highest kinds, the highest kind is friend of higher purpose. It could be your biggest enemy. It could be you know the comp- the you know the person who does what you do in the com- competitor, right? These will be people who climb your mountain or different mountains, but they'll tell you the truth in your face because you're both part of something bigger. These are people you want to hold on to. You may see them the least. You may speak with them once every two years, but they'll be there when you'll be 80 years old because you fought the same fight. Maybe back to back, but the same fight. So think which people would be that kind of friend to you what are they doing? Why am I attracted to these things? These are questions that can help guide you, maybe to the destiny that is out there and looking for you. Three kinds of friends.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And I feel like if a lot of guys started thinking that consciously of the relationships that they make, it leads to us getting a lot better results And whatever we put our minds to. And I definitely need some more of that, that last group of friends that you are talking about. You know, just with the few so far, I do appreciate the fact that they're willing to we shoot it straight and tell me like it is and let me know what I might be missing or if I'm biased on something to help me to eventually um, be a better man. And, not and have they the same are rare. They are so. rare.
1: By the way, speaking of, you know, I'm not an expert on gender or whatever, but I think for men specifically, it's really important. Um, at least in my experience, women are better in sharing when it comes to these things, and, and we need to find those, you know, maybe it's a militaristic example, but, you know, we need to find those buddies, you know, who are like, you know, friends for life, and will tell us the truth in our face, and they are rare, we're like, we'll get one, two, maybe three, if you're lucky in your life, But you need to hold on to them, and serve them, be that friend to them.
0: And I, would, I can definitely see how being in the military probably led to you Seeing the importance of that, because even though I didn't have actual military experience, uh, just going through trials and tribulations, you know, and challenges with being in the Corps of Cadets and military program, I could see the importance of that. And definitely in this stage of my life, as I'm, I guess, moving on a different path, uh, and there have been times where I've struggled with things, and it was definitely something that I valued a lot to have those guys that I could talk to and get that value from and reciprocate whenever they needed it too. And I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you. I appreciate you interviewing me.
1: It's a good way to end, no?
0: Yeah, pretty good way to end. Yeah, it really ties into the the mission of the whole thing. And so thanks for coming on to the show. Thank you for offering so much value to the listeners today. And I'll go ahead and cut it off now. Thanks again.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for whoever's listening. Uh, Feel free to reach out to me. Um, I literally live on LinkedIn and if you reach out, I will reply. So do not hesitate.
0: All right. And I'll make sure to put the, uh, the links to your website on your YouTube channel and your LinkedIn account in the description when I post the video and everything. Okay.
1: Just sharing lessons with the other Bedouins. It's really what it's all about.
0: All right. Well, uh, thanks again. Take care of yourself. Thank you very
1: much. Thank you everybody.